0: And welcome. It's so good to see you on this Easter Sunday. And if you've got a Bible in whatever form you've brought it, I'd like to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians. We have departed for two weeks from our study in the book of Mark. And I'm preaching a passage that I don't recall having ever preached on an Easter before. And I don't know why, because it seems like a natural fit for Easter And so I'd like to focus on several verses from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, and we're going to start with verse 35. And let's bow for a brief prayer as we begin our look into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, what a joyous day it is. And to hear so many voices singing together, lifting up the praise of you, because you're deserving of that praise. And to see each other's faces and the smiles and to feel the hugs, it's a good day. And we thank you. We thank you for all that we're experiencing today. And we owe it all to you, as was just sung. And now as we look into your word, I'm praying that you will speak to each of our hearts through your Holy Spirit, specifically about what it may be like one day for those who are in Christ, as we know that you have wonderful things awaiting the joint heirs with Jesus. Thank you for this time together in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I remember as a pretty young child crawling up into the back of my father's pickup truck, which was parked in the driveway of our Phoenix, Arizona home, where I lived at the time, and it was a desert, cloudless summer night. And the sky was just teeming with stars. It was so brilliant. And I remember lying on my back, looking right up into space, and it just went on forever and ever and ever. And I felt so small, and I felt so insignificant, and yet so awestruck at the same time. And I thought to myself, even at that young age, I'm only looking at this one vantage point, but there are millions of vantage points all around this round globe of ours as well. And no matter where you happen to be on the globe, you're still looking at eternity, (laughs) You're looking out at something that just doesn't seem to end. And it made me start a quest for something that I felt lies beyond what we know on earth. And I think all of us have that sense of being a part of something bigger than ourselves. And when we're out looking at a sky like that, it has a tendency to humble us and make us wonder what's out there and what lies beyond. The writer of Ecclesiastes had similar thoughts, and he asked similar questions to the questions I began asking at that tender young age. And the writer of Ecclesiastes, we believe, was Solomon, a very wise guy. It's a wise man. He lived approximately 900, maybe a few more than 900 years prior to Christ's coming on the earth. And he wrote this, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity In the human heart and I kind of think that may have summed up a little of what I was sensing that night that God has started to awaken a sense of wonder and eternity that lies deep within every single one of us as human beings and it's hard to describe and it's hard to comprehend and yet we feel it it has a tug on our hearts at the soul level we desire an answer to this great mystery what happens when we step into eternity Fortunately, God has not hidden all the details from us. He gives us enough clues in his word that we have a pretty good idea, at least enough of idea, an idea to get really excited about what he has in store for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's going to give us some glimpses, and we're going to look at some of those today. We have some important glimpses to look at that answer that question, what happens when we step through death's door? People have been trying to find the fountain of youth for years. There are lots of movies about that. To my knowledge, nobody has ever succeeded in that quest just yet. Contrary to the advertisements we would see for cosmetics on television, But it's good for us to try to stay fit and healthy as long as we can in the few years that God gifts us with here on this earth. But eventually, the unyielding truth is going to come true for every single one of us, and this earthly tent, as Paul called it, is going to wear out. And so none of us have a promise of eternity in this body. There is one place, however, where we won't have to worry about our bodies dying, and that place is heaven. In fact, our bodies there, for those who are in Christ, will never wear out. Can I get a witness? (laughs) That's, That's exciting news to me. There in heaven, there is no sickness, no aches, no pains, no arthritis, no awful illnesses like the ones that so many of our physicians work so hard to try to suppress and to give us longer lives. No problems associated with getting older. Benjamin Franklin, even at a tender young age of 22, was pondering these kinds of thoughts. I got to thinking about Ben Franklin because our kids from South Carolina have visited Philadelphia and more recently Washington, D.C., and they're discovering some of the people who founded our nation, and they're they're getting some good history. But Ben Franklin pondered this question. He wrote his future epitaph, in fact. An epitaph is that phrase or slogan or a, a bunch of words that you're going to put either on your tombstone or, in his case, it would have to be on a plaque near his tomb because it's way too wordy for a tombstone. And yet, that got forgotten in time and never actually appeared at his tomb. But because we have historians that were digging through things, they found some of his writings. And some scholars think that this was all original. I suspect that it has been slightly edited through time. That happens. But this is what we think. He wrote at age 22 that would have been his epitaph. He said, The body of Benjamin Franklin lies in the grave like the cover of an old book. Remember, he was a printer and he liked to write. With its contents torn out, stripped of its lettering, but which will appear once again in a new and more eloquent edition, revised and corrected by the author. Good sentiment. Not a bad way to describe what I think the Bible is trying to show us will happen to those who are in Christ Jesus when we step into eternity. One day, everyone who is in Christ and covered by his blood which he shed on the cross for us, which we celebrated on Good Friday, and because of his resurrection, we can have a resurrection. Everybody who has trusted in Christ for that will have an extreme makeover. We're not going to be hurried through the body shop we used to have Earl Scheibe, 3995 paint jobs back in Arizona. And that was we called it a fifty foot paint job. Because it didn't look too bad if you're standing fifty feet away. That is not gonna be what God does for us when we step into eternity if we have trusted Christ. It's gonna be an extreme makeover. All the way, a brand new engine, everything under the hood, completely brand new. The Apostle Paul asks a question that helps us start getting into these glimpses that we're looking at today, and it's found in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, but someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? It's a good question. And Paul then offers these important details that contrast our earthly bodies, the ones that you and I have to struggle with and that we're dealing with right now, and the bodies that are promised to to those who trust Christ one day, experiencing that journey into eternity. Well, first of all, we see that he shows us there is a prerequisite for a resurrection. Now, what kind of a prerequisite are we talking about? Well, there is a prerequisite in that you got to be dead before you can be raised back up again. That's a prerequisite. It seems kind of obvious, at least I think, and Paul thought so too. In fact, he got a little facetious. It looked like he was sort of smiling and grinning at what he says to some of the Corinthians who may have believed otherwise, because he actually says, poking fun at them in verse 36, he says, how foolish. He says, how foolish for you to think that you don't have to be dead before you can be resurrected again. And then he offers this analogy, which I like. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. He's saying, basically, don't be silly thinking that you can have a resurrection without first dying. He wanted to be clear on this point, and so he puts it right out there. If you're going to be resurrected in heaven, you first have to die. And John, in his gospel, records Jesus' own words about this requirement of death Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains itself alone, just a kernel. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That was John 12:24. So Paul gets right into the nitty-gritty and he's not afraid to talk about this word, the D word that some families just don't want to talk about. And I know a lot of families were trying to avoid the subject in this last two years as we were trying to get a handle on what this coronavirus was going to be like and how many people it was going to take home, et cetera. Not a popular topic. But think about this for a moment, if you would. I think this is going to help us gain perspective and I think it's going to make you feel happy about the promises that Paul is offering to everybody who would trust Christ. If you could invent a way or, if scientists could invent a way for you to live forever without having to die, you'd still have to put up with the same body for eternity. What a horrible thought. I don't want to live in the same body. I want something better than that. And Paul promises something very much better based on his knowledge because he was with Christ and Christ gave him some special insight. The writer and spiritual disciplines expert, Dallas Willard, who's now in heaven, by the way, wrote about a woman who just absolutely refused to talk with her kids about death. She wouldn't talk about it. I've known people like that. Someone asked her, why don't you want to talk with your kids about death? It happens to all of us. Death is a human experience. She goes, well, I don't want my kids to be disappointed if they find out that there's no afterlife. And Dallas Willard said, I'm, gonna talk about logic for just a moment here. He said, uh, if there is no afterlife, then there will be no consciousness with which to feel disappointment. (laughs) So it's kind of a pointless thing for you to avoid disappointment because if there is no afterlife, that's it. And then he went a step further though, and this was important, and he's picking up some points that we're getting from the Apostle Paul. He says, on the other hand, and this is a big on the other hand, if there is an afterlife, Anyone who enters that next life unprepared may experience far more than mere disappointment. That's an important phrase. And it helps us gain some positive perspective about death right off the bat as we continue to look at these glimpses. Paul is letting the Corinthians know, and fortunately because it's written down for us, he's letting us know today, 2,000 years later, That those who are in Christ are promised something wonderful in eternity, but we have to walk through death's door to get there. It's kind of like when we've driven to Florida. I remember driving my son down years ago for a soccer tournament down there, and we went with a couple of friends, that's a long road down there. Some of you have been to Florida recently. There's just no easy way to get down there if you're driving but to just keep driving (laughs) and keep driving and keep driving. And finally, you finally arrive at that stuff. It's like, I don't really relish the journey, but the destination is so worth it. And that's kind of what Paul is telling us about this as well. Well, here's the results of a resurrection that Paul's starting to show us. You get a different body. Can I get an amen? Yeah, He says in verses 37 and 38, what you put in the ground, he's using the analogy again of planting and a seed, what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Makes sense. Good analogy, Paul. Let's unpack that for a couple of minutes, shall we? With this analogy, he's saying that the body that's going to show up in heaven is not the same body that's going to get planted in the ground when we are buried. When you put a kernel of grain in the ground, he was using wheat. Let's use corn because I kind of go for the corny analogies. It's (laughs) That one got a better laugh than the other one that I messed the build up on three weeks ago. All right. But... It's not the kernel that grows out of the ground. You don't see a little kernel pop up and then start getting bigger. It's a stalk and it starts green and it grows and it's got all kinds of layers and eventually ears come out of it and it's an amazing thing to see that happen. Now, it's related to that kernel, obviously, but it's not the same thing and that's kind of Paul's point. There's something much more fruitful and something that's really kind of miraculous even in this analogy that God has given us through agriculture. And your eternal Heavenly body, if you have trusted Christ, is going to be different from your earthly body. Fitness experts have said that the older we get, it takes more and more effort and longer periods of time to work out to maintain the same level of fitness. And for some of us at the age I'm getting to be, it's becoming a full-time job. (laughs) Somebody once said, I had a former boss back when I was in seminary, and he said, I read somewhere that at whatever fitness level you are at age 30, if you do well and continue to do some activity, you're probably going to be at about the same fitness level at age 60. And I found that to be fairly true. But I have to admit now that I'm beyond 60. And so it's becoming that full-time job. (laughs) But Paul gives us an outline, a brief outline, and I love it, right here in 1 Corinthians 15. And he shows us four different qualities of those who are in Christ and what we get to look forward to with these new bodies that we're going to have. Verse 42, our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. So they're indestructible. That's the first I word. They're going to, we're going to use an I word because I love alliteration. The first one that he shows us is that our bodies, our eternal bodies, are going to be indestructible. They're buried in a corruptible state, but they're going to be raised incorruptible. They will not decay. We don't have to worry about that. Now, I just encountered this yesterday, in fact, last evening, when Mike Howell texted me, and he said, I'm unable to open that file that you sent me, because I had sent him some visuals for today, and so I went and checked it out, and you know what happens when you get that little prompt that says, can't open this file, it's corrupted, which means that it has decayed somehow or it's got extraneous information in there that makes it different than it was supposed to have been. And that's what it is, isn't it, with our bodies, that they become corrupted over time. Sometimes we get a bacteria or something that shouldn't be in there that gets added on to what should be there or things get taken away and we lose our energy and we lose our vitality and we become corrupted. And when we get put in the grave, we become really corrupted because then we just kind of dissolve and become ashes to ashes and dust to dust. They're susceptible to corruption. Now, there's only one person that I know of for sure whose body was not susceptible to corruption, and that was Jesus Christ. I know there's going to be a little bit of a skeptic that you're going to say, but what about Lazarus? Yes, but Lazarus, when he was getting ready to be raised back to life again, his sister said, oh, Lord, you don't want to open the door to that tomb. By now, he stinketh. Which means I think he was still susceptible to corruption. But in Jesus' case, he rose again on the third day. He was not Subject to corruption. In fact, look what the psalmist says, Psalm 1610. He says, for you, referring to guess who, will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the grave. That's the New Living translation. They use decay in some of the other translations, but I love New Living because it's rot. You're not going to let your holy one rot in the grave. He is not subject to corruption. That's good news for us because it was his resurrection that paves the way for everybody else's resurrection that we can have and he offers for us to have freely. Jesus is the only one about whom that was said. His body was not subject to corruption. He became the first fruits, kind of like that first picking of a plant, and then you know there's going to have a whole lot more coming later. And it was the first fruit or the down payment for everybody else who follows in another resurrection too. He showed us that life after death is possible, and because he conquered death, we know it can happen. He was a visible expert, and he walked around and showed people himself after he had died. So we know that his body was incorruptible. That's Paul's first description for us in 1 Corinthians. Unlike our present bodies that wear out, our eternal bodies will never decay because they're going to be incorruptible. Now, the second thing is our eternal bodies will be identifiable. And Dennis, you're probably watching this in YouTube. Hello back there. Sorry you guys couldn't make it. I'm going to use you as an example because uh, a couple of years ago, three years ago, I was preaching about something and trying to throw in a parenthetical statement about I wonder how specifically we're going to know each other in heaven. And Dennis said, name tags. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Possibly. Uh, You're in charge, Dennis, of making the name tag. Uh, I thought that was a great response. But I think also we have some more clues in Paul's writing for us in 1 Corinthians about how we're going to be able to know each other in heaven. Let's connect two passages, both written by Paul, because they both kind of connect in a way that gives us more clarity on this subject. 1 Corinthians 15, the first half of verse 43 says, Our bodies are buried in brokenness but they will be raised in glory. It's a great word, and it means brilliance, but it also means a whole lot better than brokenness. It's going to be buried in brokenness, but raised completely whole and glorious. So the word glory connects to another passage that Paul talks about, this one in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. Let me read those to you. He says, but our citizenship is not on this earth. It's in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies, those that would be buried broken, so that they will be like his glorious body. Ha, ha, ha. That's an important statement. Our bodies will be like his glorified body, his glorious post-resurrection body. That gives us a clue. Why does it give us a clue? Because he walked around and people got to get a glimpse at his glorified body, which means we get a glimpse of what our glorified bodies are going to be like as well. Uh, Great example in John 21. These are the disciples again. They didn't know what to do. They went back to fishing. They're at the Sea of Galilee. They're out in a boat. Jesus shows up. He's walking on the shore. He calls out to them, one of them, and says, uh, The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John. He's just too humble to write it because he's the one writing that in his gospel. He says, the one whom Jesus loved recognized him and said, it's the Lord. And so Peter, being Peter, (laughs) dives in and just starts making his way to the shore impetuously because that's the way he did it. But they recognized him. Why would they recognize him? Because he had a body that was recognizable. So we're going to be recognizable to people who are there before we get there too. And we'll recognize them as well. Paul also comes back to the same thought in verse 49 of 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Just as we are now like the earthly man, this is verse 49, we will someday be like the heavenly man. He's kind of contrasting the old Adam as the human man and then the new Adam or the last Adam, Jesus Christ, who's representing the spiritual and the otherworldly, the heavenly body as well. Now here's a simple logic. Good logicians, you'll get this one. If A equals B and B equals C, A equals C. You are so smart. And that's what we're doing by contrasting these two verses with Paul because if Jesus is resurrected and he appears and shows us his glorified body and if we're told that our glorified body is going to be like his body, then by looking at Christ, we too can be looking at what our bodies are going to be like. That's good news, especially because... There's a lot of cool stuff that goes on with this glorified body. Luke 24, 39. His body was real. Jesus said that his body was real. Look at my hands, he says. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. Because he was afraid some people might think, "Uh uh-oh, it's the ghost of Jesus. That was kind of big back then. A lot of people thought that a lot of people walking around were ghosts of other people. It was a thing. But we don't have to worry about that. He was saying very much you can... See where the nails went into my hands? You can see where they pierced my feet? You can touch me. I'm real. We're not going to be like video game spirit orbs floating around on the screen. We're going to be real with bodies. Jesus also, I'm going to like this one, Jesus put food into his body. Can I get a witness? I mean, eating is not just putting fuel in an engine. I mean, it kind of is in an analogy, but man, food is a pleasurable experience. We had some really great barbecue just yesterday. That was a pleasurable experience. And I was so grateful that they were eating some grilled fish. And again, on the shore, Luke 24, 42 through 43, again, the boys are at the lake. They had hauled in that huge haul of fish. They were cooking some fish over the fire and they gave him some broiled fish to eat. And I love this part. And he ate it as they watched (laughs) have you ever seen a very small child watch you do stuff they just stare at you and they're in wonder i was standing in line at a bakery the one we took you guys to recently but it was a little earlier on and i was standing there and i have a beard and nobody else in there had a beard and this little kid was standing there and he kept sneaking peeks at me and i don't know why maybe it was the beard or something he kept sneaking peeks at me And finally, I just looked down at him, and I went, I just gave him a little smile like that, and and he he seemed a little shocked by that, but he was watching so carefully. I can imagine these disciples felt very childlike watching him eat, and they're thinking, where does that food go? (laughs) He seems to be enjoying it. And what that shows me is we're going to have an enjoyable time putting our feet under other people's tables and enjoying eating good things, because it's a pleasurable experience, and God gifts us with good, pleasurable things when we're in heaven after we get our new bodies. And then, also, Jesus had told Thomas to actually touch his body. He says, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. He's doing that to help them understand that, yes, I have resurrected, and you can have a resurrection too. When you've been away from somebody for a long time, doesn't it feel good to just wrap them up in a good warm hug? We've seen a lot of that just recently, in fact, because we're coming out of a pandemic. I think it may have also been Dennis who was telling me, um, I'm just using you for all my illustrations, Dennis. You'll get your royalty check in the mail next week. (laughs) He said he'd been away overseas uh, in the army, and then he came home, and because we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have lots of ways to communicate on a regular daily basis like we do now, it was all just handwritten letters that took forever to get across the sea, and he showed up, and he said that first hug with his mom lasted forever. They just wrapped each other up, and they didn't want to let go because it just felt so good. They were so connected. And I sense that I'm going to take at least five years to hug all the people I need to hug when I get to heaven because those hugs are going to feel so good, and they're going to last so long. We're going to recognize and see and touch and hug and eat with all these people that we knew here on earth, cousins, cousins and brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews and grandparents and great-grandparents, all these beautiful relationships that we enjoyed, we're going to get to really appreciate that, and it's not going to be spirit orbs. we got real bodies, and we're going to enjoy their company. Also, Paul tells us our eternal bodies will be incredible, incredible. He says that our earthly bodies, our old earthly bodies, will be buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. I am grateful for that. A couple of times when we were in Scotland on our sabbatical, we had some longer walking days than others, and some of those are very very hilly walking days, like an eight-mile day, but a lot of it's uphill. We got back to the home where we were staying, and I thought, man, I'm being buried in weakness in my bed tonight. I am so weary. I don't know if I can walk another step tomorrow. But we're going to be raised in strength, and that's a really good thing to know about our future uh, bodies. Here's something that we'll be able to do. I'm confident in this. There were a bunch of people in the upper room. They were waiting. They were hiding. They had the door locked because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. And Jesus just appears in the room, boom, and says, peace be to you. Well, it's a good thing he said that because I'd been scared out of my wits if he just appeared next to me that way too. He didn't have to go through the door. Folks, can you imagine It's going to be awesome i can't wait for that suddenly he was just standing there among you peace be with you d in my outline our eternal bodies will be infinite infinite they'll go on forever not only will our new bodies be indestructible and identifiable and incredible but they're going to be infinite as well the seed sown is natural the seed grown is supernatural that's eugene peterson's the message paraphrase version of this uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I like that. He's really good at juxtaposing words that go well together. Uh, the seed sown, natural. The seed grown, supernatural. Now, we have to unpack the word supernatural a little bit or spiritual because it's good for us to understand what Paul means by that. Otherwise, people can miss some of the other stuff that just came earlier, and they'll think, wait a minute, but we're going to have spiritual bodies. Doesn't that mean like a spirit orb? No. Okay, I want you to be able to answer no to that question. Are we going to be spirit orbs? No. Good. If you don't get anything else, just remember, no, it's not going to be spirit orbs around there. We're going to have real bodies, all right? The word spiritual here does not mean immaterial. doesn't mean that. Well, what does it mean? It means that we'll have bodies that will no longer be controlled by fleshly impulses. We're not controlled by the flesh in heaven. We're controlled by the spirit. That means there's no sin involved, which means we can enjoy everything that God created for us in order to enjoy, but without sin ruining the picture. That's a good thing to look forward to. And here's the big difference between the natural body and the spiritual body. The natural body was suited for life on earth, and we'll we'll be subjected to all these limits until we finally step through death's door. We're constantly coming up against more and more limitations because this is earth. And there was sin at the beginning, all the way back at the Garden of Eden, so we're in a fallen world, and so there's lots of limitations. But the spiritual body is going to be suited for heaven, and it's going to live forever. Paul tells us that our earthly bodies could not exist in heaven, in fact. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. Our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. We need to have a transformation. We need to have God raise us up into that new creation, the new body that's going to last forever and it's not going to be this old bag of bones. Now, that leads us to the final and most important question. How do I get one of these bodies? I want to sign up. I mean, this sounds like great benefits for those who trust Christ. And they are. That's why Paul put all this stuff in there. But it's... The good news, bad news gospel, which means that there is something that had to get taken care of before we can be given this wonderful gift of these new bodies. And that is the preparation for a resurrection. Remember, we had a prerequisite. Now we got a preparation for that, too. Paul deals with this question in several places in his writing, especially in the book of Romans. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. This wonderful gift of grace is a gift by God to everybody who calls out to him. We know this stuff. This is basic gospel 101. But that has to take place because he's not going to gift these bodies to everybody because of free will. He offers it freely, but not everybody's going to accept it. And so if we'll accept it and reach out to him, to him and say, God, I need this forgiveness that you're talking about. I have to deal with sin. Yes, I want one of these bodies, but even more than that, I need forgiveness. That's the most important part of the gospel. That's what sent Jesus to the cross. There would be no reason for him to have done that apart from sin needing to be atoned. So Paul, who gives us these insights, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. He also said in Romans 10:9, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Folks, I get passionate about this, especially after having come through a pandemic, knowing that all the signs are coming closer and closer, and we're th- thinking, now I can't predict when the end is going to come, but by golly, things are getting bad around the world. We're one day closer today than we were yesterday. I don't know when God's going to return. I don't know if we're going to go through half the tribulation or all the tribulation. I don't know the answers to those things. I've wrestled with them, but I want to be ready. Ready? That's my four-word summary of the book of Revelation. God wins. Be ready. We need to be ready, and I want everybody to go with me to heaven, which is why I preach the gospel. And I preach it passionately because I believe this. There's a lot of stuff that I found out that I don't really grasp a whole lot, and I don't understand, and I disagree with a lot of the stuff that went on in the pandemic, but this thing I know, Jesus is real. And he really came, and he really died for us, and he really rose again, and he really offers us this new body in heaven forever. But we've got to repent, turn from our sins, invite him to forgive us, and become the Lord of our life. And I want people to do that. If you haven't done that, let me ask you what good old Southern Baptist preachers used to say, is there any reason why you shouldn't want to do that today? It's a good question. I can't think of any reason why somebody would not want to do that. And so I'm going to lead us in a sample prayer right now. And if you would like to do that, you can say a prayer something like this and just say it silently and the Lord will hear you. Father, I want what this preacher is talking about. I want the new body that you're promising and that Paul told us about in 1 Corinthians. And I need that forgiveness. I need to be forgiven of my sins And I want you to cleanse me of all that sin and to give my life purpose and meaning in you. And I want to follow you as the guide of my life. I want to be spiritually led with Jesus Christ as the head of this body, the church. And I want to be planted among other people who are on that same journey. And Father, I thank you that you are forgiving me right now because of your Holy Spirit. I want your Holy Spirit to come into my life and to continue to transform me for the rest of my life as I become transformed to become more and more like Jesus. And I thank you that you promised that to everybody who believes. I am one of those people now. I believe and I accept you. Thank you for for that forgiveness. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, if you have just prayed that prayer for the very first time, I know that you know somebody who would probably be thrilled if you told them that you had said that prayer. I'd like for you to make that your one little goal after this service. Find somebody that you know would be thrilled and tell them that you said that prayer. And there are a lot of people who would love to rejoice with you. The angels start partying in heaven when one lost sinner comes home. And they're doing that right now if somebody prayed that prayer. So share that with them. They're going to want to walk alongside you, put their arm around you. We're all walking together. We're all walking each other home. And we're all broken in different ways and in different areas. And fortunately, because we were all sinners, every one of us are saved sinners if we're in Christ. That means we're all on an equal footing. And we invite you in with that journey. So thank you so much for doing that.